Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Indianapolis, AFC South, Stampede Blue, let's air it out, fly route, let's air it out, topics, loaded like offense, Colts centric, talk about it often, Stampede Blue, let's air it out. Welcome back to another Stampede Blue Colts cast, ladies and gentlemen, I'm your host Matt Dangley, we are all set for the colts Bengals week one uh, travel up the highway to get this season started. Uh, last week, the Colts ended their preseason with a game against the Bengals, this week they start the uh, regular season against the Bengals as well. Uh, and with me today to kind of help break this game down and, and talk a little bit about what we should be expected to see, we've got Joe Goodberry of the Athletic Cincinnati. Joe, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Matt. Absolutely. Glad to hear uh, a little bit of what you've got because I know that there's Colts fans that want to know kind of the ins and outs of this defense because the offense, we've got a pretty good idea I guess, of what we think we're going to be going up against. A.J. Green, you know, he's going to be a very difficult cover. You know, uh, when you look at Andy Dalton's career, you kind of see that he's got the ability to do some things. Now, whether he does or not is a different story, but he's got the ability right. to really kick your ass if, if you're not on your P's and Q's. So looking at that and then kind of the, you know, the, the backfield and the offensive line has gotten a little bit of boost. We'll talk about a little bit about everything, but I'm really uh, interested in this defense to, to kick us off. You guys have. I, think the, Go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, I agree because I think the defense is the strength of the team. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, and that's with the Colts in their current situation with their offensive line. They, they've got some more depth, which is always nice. And and you look at that as a positive throughout the season. The guys are going to uh, develop a little bit into their role, whether it's changed or whether it's you know a backup role or whatever it is. But the left side of our line looks pretty solid, especially if Costanzo's healthy. And Nelson is as he's been advertised thus far. But then you look at the right side of the line, the Colts have Matt Slauson, who's a little bit of a, a wild card there. He can play well, but he, you know, he has not really played all that great his last few years. And he's been the center a large part of that as well. Uh, mm. And then you look at Joe Haig. He's getting the start at right tackle, presumably. And that's kind of a revolving door right now. So what, I mean, Carlos Dunlap, Andrew Billings, Geno Atkins, and Michael Johnson, are these guys going to feast on these guys or is this, are they more of technicians, I guess, or are they more of the brute strength where they're constantly bull rushing? What's kind of their approach? Yeah, and to talk about the defense, we should start at the defensive line for the Bengals. Uh, it's the strength of the entire team. It may be a top-five unit in the league. Um, and just looking at the depth chart, it shows you their 4-3 alignment, right? there. Right. And that's Dunlap on the left end, Michael Johnson on the right end. Um, Johnson's on the other side of 30. He really hasn't had... He reached his peak in about 2013, and, and really it's been downhill since then. But he's still a solid contributor. Lucky for the Bengals, they've drafted nothing but defensive ends the last two years. 
that are now probably better than Michael Johnson. So Johnson's going to play, and he's listed as the starter, but it's really the other guys that you got to worry about. It's mm-hmm. Carl Lawson coming in in their nickel package and as the rush end replacing Johnson. He's their best pass rusher on the team, Carl Lawson, right now. And um, he's a technician, but he's got speed off the edge. He's got crazy power for a guy that's barely 6'2 and, and 265 pounds. He's strong, and his hands and his, his moves are advanced like a 10-year veteran. Um, he's going to make it really hard on Costanzo. He's going to make it hard on a lot of left tackles in the league this year. I wouldn't be surprised if he's a guy that ends up with 12 sacks, if not more, um, on this team. And then inside, obviously, Geno Atkins, all pro, maybe a Hall of Famer one day. He is the best player on the team. Carlos Dunlap, probably the most underrated nationally player on the team. He is a very good defensive end, very good versus the run, a solid power rusher from that side, but he's, you know, he's 6'6", 285 range. He's got a little bit of agility and quickness at that size to beat you also. Uh, And then Andrew Billings is the nose tackle right now. He uh, missed his rookie year. He fell in the draft because he had a knee issue, ended up being uh, required to have microfracture surgery that that offseason before his rookie year. So, of course, he missed that rookie season. Last year, coming back, being his first year playing as a true nose tackle in a 4-3 defense and coming off that knee injury, he had very up-and-down year, a lot of low-end plays, a lot of flashes high-end that were to, enough to make you say there's something there, and I think he can still be good. He's, and he, so, B- Billings is out of uh, oh, okay. Baylor. Baylor. Okay, so I was under the impression that when he fell, because Buddy and mine and I were watching the draft, and we were wanting the Colts to nab him. And and he right. you know, like you said he fell, but I was under the impression he fell because they didn't. A lot of the club owners didn't, or not club owners, but the uh, GMs felt he wasn't much of an an every down defensive tackle. Is that? I mean, if there was any injury. I wasn't. I don't know if I was aware of that or not. There was any injury, and a lot of teams flagged him. Um, it wasn't well known outside of football circles, and the Bengals um, practiced him for a little bit and figured to shelve him that that um, that off season in camp because of the knee issue, it was big, bigger than expected. Gotcha. Uh, but, yes, there was some of that. Being 6'1", 330, um, coming up from a three-man front at Baylor, he kind of, you know, it's such it's such a different scheme in college football where everything's spread out, playing nose tackle and playing nose tackle in the NFL where everything's tighter and you have to be much more disciplined and strong and mentally strong in your, um, in your gaps and your responsibilities playing nose tackle. So, there was some of that where they said, well, he's, a, he's kind of got some pass rush to him at, at, at that size and upfield burst, but yet he's probably a better run defender, but he's not there yet. So there was some tweener in, in Billings' games as a prospect, plus the knee thing I think is what really dropped him too. So it was, it was a combination. Hmm. So coming into this year, everyone's excited, but yet still holding off because he had a bad year last year. Right. And this offseason at camp and preseason, he's been nothing but – spectacular, mm-hmm. dominant at times. He, he crushed the interior of the Cowboys' offensive line. He destroyed the Bills' interior offensive line in, in back-to-back games, week two, week three of preseason. And he's been doing it in camp, too, enough where they thought, we don't need Chris Baker, a guy they signed in the offseason. They let him go. Um, they feel really good about Andrew Billings going forward. And, but he's not going to play in the nickel package. He's going to come off. On, uh, he's basically your, your first, second down run defender. He's going to come off, and Michael Johnson kicks inside and plays defensive tackle in their, in their pass rush unit. And that's when Carl Lawson comes in. Mm-hmm. That's when Jordan Willis comes in, guy they drafted last year also. That's mm-hmm. when Sam Hubbard comes in also. They, they like to rotate these defensive ends. They've got uh, four or five of them, young guys that can all play. And then uh, at defensive tackle, I, I, would, I should uh, mention 
Ryan Glasgow, a guy they drafted last year in the fourth round out of Michigan, who had a solid rookie season, a bit of a tweener between, he doesn't really have the athleticism of a three-tech, um, but really not the bulk of a nose tackle. So it's, it was kind of interesting to see how he would turn into year two. And he came back, and he's really bigger, stronger up, up top, um, and he had a fantastic preseason. So he's going to rotate behind Geno Atkins. I just think the defensive line is deep. Even the backups are going to give teams trouble. And they've got, and they, you think that they've got a, a pretty well-rounded group there. Like you mentioned, some of the guys in the back there, Wills and, and Lawson and Hubbard. Um, I was really a big, big fan of Hubbard, and, and I've only seen a little bit of the Cincinnati, uh, obviously their their preseason. And how has he tra- uh, kind of gotten himself involved in this defense? Is he more of a pass rush option? Do you think, or is he a better? Uh, for that that strong technique, I guess, to where he's he's going to be relied upon to help with a more against the run between the two defensive end slots. He hit the ground running, and he's going to contribute this year. I just don't know at what, at what capacity that will be. He's definitely bottom of the totem pole for these, as many defensive ends as they have, but, but it's not be. really his fault. <laughs> right, he should be. Right, exactly. But he's grabbing snaps, and he's he's – demanding more and more opportunities so far from what you see from camp and preseason. He had a really good camp and preseason. But he's more of a try hard, gonna go hundred miles an hour, make some mistakes, but that hustle and that and that, you know, that energy is gonna create a lot of plays also. He's not beating somebody because he has the moves. He doesn't he's not beating anyone because he's really more more of an athlete. He's not beating anyone because he's that much stronger or bigger. Uh, but he has a combination of all that. He's not bad in those areas. He's just not overwhelmingly, you know, saying I can hang my hat on those traits. But um, because of it, he, he made a lot of plays in preseason. He made a lot of mistakes, too. And what they started to do was kick him inside and back up Michael Johnson because they're going to need someone else. Uh, they would always have gone with three defensive ends, one defensive tackle, and that nickel package. They didn't have anyone else that really has had the experience behind Johnson to kick inside. They started doing it with Jordan Willis because they're, they're like, we got to get this guy in the field. And then it's the same happened with Sam Hubbard. we got to get him on the field. we got to figure out ways to use these guys because there are so many good defensive ends on this roster. So let's talk about the, the second and third level then of this defense real quick, and then we'll move on. Uh, but do you, how do you like your linebacking group? I mean, are, is their strength – Are they like you said, is there something they can hang their hat on? Is, are, can they hang their hat on coverage this year? Are they well-rounded, or are they more of a run-stopping team? And then uh, a unit, I guess. And then look at the secondary as well. Where I mean, are they going to be excelling in coverage, or is the, are, are they having some issues there? Where's the hole in those second and third levels, I guess? Linebacker has been an issue for the Bengals for a while. Um, traditionally, Marvin Lewis has liked run-stuffing big linebackers. He's tried to go away from that, or the team has tried to go away from that recently, drafting more athletic guys, guys from more wide-open conferences. It hasn't helped that they've had to uh, sign a veteran linebacker to replace injured and, and, and guys who haven't panned out. Guys, I mean, they've they signed like um, um, A.J. Hawk, Harrison from the Steelers, uh, Kevin Minter from the from the Cardinals, and then uh, this year was Preston Brown from the Bills. And they kind of just keep cycling these veteran guys until they find one, but they're all the same, really at the end of their careers, except for Brown, um, but not great athletes, run-defending guys. And then Vontez Perfect, continuously suspended. He will be for this game also. So they have issues at linebacker. They like Nick Vigil, who's the other starter right now, but next to Preston Brown. The guy replacing um, Vontez Perfect is, is – Jordan. Evans, uh, Jordan Evans out of Oklahoma. He was a fifth-round pick last year. Athlete last year, they really wanted to see if he could get stronger, bigger, defend the run better coming from that wide-open conference. 
and he's done that. And actually, he's one of the guys that I, I look at and say, could be a breakout star. And that's Jordan Evans, number 50. You watch him, he's going to make a lot of plays just off being a superior athlete. And that's good. They've always been bad in coverage. They have never really helped their linebackers in coverage. They'll keep them in zone while everyone else is man just to try not to expose them. Mm -hmm. But if the pass rush doesn't get home, somebody's going to get open uh, in that zone. Uh, So it's been a very tough position to play on the Bengals' defense. They bring in Terrell Austin from the the Colts, and the Bengals, under their old coordinator, Zimmer and Paul Gunther, they – or always exposed by tight ends, always near the bottom of the league in tight end receptions and, and yardage. Terrell Austin was actually one of the best with the with the Lions last year. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. I remember last year the, the Colts tight ends killed them, Doyle killed them, mm-hmm. and I wonder if that's something they're going to really focus on to try and take away from. And then in the secondary, they really like their secondary. They they have three first-round picks at corner, and William Jackson, Drake Kirkpatrick, and Jarquez Denard. They like all three of them. I think the weak guy in that lineup is – Kirkpatrick, mm-hmm. mostly because he has the most exploitable weaknesses, which is try and throw it deep on him, um, try and try and get him to turn his back to the ball. He doesn't have great ball skills while running downfield. He doesn't have great long speed, and he panics and grabs. But besides that, he is a solid starting corner in the NFL. I think William Jackson on the other side, though, has potential to be a lockdown, true shutdown type corner, and the team believes he is. So it'll be interesting to see if he if he continues to grow from what he showed last year. And then Dark West Denard in the slot, I think, is a really good slot corner. Tough guy. We'll make a tackle. Um, we'll blitz. He's a smart guy. He, you can beat him with athletic, quicker guys, but at the same time, uh, his strengths uh, will stand out in a game. And then at safety, they like Sean Williams as a strong safety. They drafted Jesse Bates in the second round. It released George Iloka. Bates is the free safety now. I think if you are going to want to pick on someone, that would be the guy for me to try and get him in coverage or try and test him deep. And with, with T.Y. Hilton, I, you know, for me, if I'm the Colts, I'm putting T.Y. Hilton on Kirkpatrick's side, hopefully drawing Jesse Bates as a free safety, and I'm going to try and test those guys and see if they can handle them deep. And, you know, for me, I, I think that's the best game plan for the Colts. So how do the Colts, I mean, aside from that and, and trying to kind of attack some of the inexperience, I guess, that is there, where do they kind of get off in this? Because we know what we're going to get from Andrew Luck for the most part. Um, there are going to be some YOLO throws, but uh, by and large, especially with this new offensive scheme, he's going to be pretty uh, definitive on what he wants to do with the ball. There, I think there's a little bit less – I mean, there's more room for him to be able to guide the offense uh, under Frank Reich, but I think there's a little bit less room for there really to uh, continually go to the second, third, and fourth reads on this. You know, that this is something they want to establish early in the game and possibly early in the second half as well just to continue the rhythm of this offense being that there's so much inexperience at wide receiver. Uh, one of my questions uh, kind of in this is, is that is that secondary physical at the line of scrimmage? Do the Colts have to have that before they've got, you know, everything else in order? Because the protection, even though good, can only hold up for so long. Are these wide receivers going to be able to get free against some of the secondary uh, in the Bengals? Well, these are tall, tall, long corners to the Bengals. They're all at least 5'11", to 6'1", and Drake Patrick. Um, long arms, uh, with, with the ball skills, but especially William Jackson on that side. So he's going to press you, turn his back, and he'll find the ball. There's no problem there. Uh, Kirkpatrick's arms are actually kind of short for his size, and that's where he gets in a lot of trouble. They will press, but usually it's press on one side and off man on the other based on how Austin has done it with the Lions and what they showed in preseason. So um, it depends on the, the, the play, and it depends on the personnel. I think it, the Colts will have their options. 
if I'm the Colts, though, I, I want to keep the Bengals out of their nickel package. Mm-hmm. And in their nickel package, you have Dark Bernard and Carl Lawson, two of their better players. In their base defense, I'd rather have Preston Brown out there and, and, and Michael Johnson. You know, if I'm the Colts, I want to get those guys in the, on the field, and I want to spread them out and make them pass rush out of their base defense, and I want to run the ball while they're in their nickel defense. So if they can control that, I think a lot of teams know that with the Bengals because they're very, very rigid in their personnel packages. Um, and if you can do that, I think you'll have a lot of success. It's one of the reasons why the Bengals have struggled in the playoffs. They get there against good teams, and this is what good teams do against them. Uh, with a full offseason to prepare, I would expect the Colts to do this. Yeah, that's interesting. So I think we can expect to see a lot of uh, uh, 11 and 12 personnel out of Frank Reich then to try to keep those yeah. guys off the field. That makes sense. Um, we guys, we're going to be right back and we're going to talk about the offense of the Cincinnati Bengals as well and how the Colts defense can match up against them. We'll be right back after this really quick break. All right, guys, we're back. Joe, let's talk about the Colts, uh, and Bengals, uh, in the opposite order. Let's talk about the Colts defense now and what they can possibly do against the, the offense. When, like we said at the top of the show, we know that AJ Green's a massive weapon, their backfield is young, and it looks like largely improving as far as what you've got with playmaking ability uh, mixed with a solid run aspect as well. Let's talk about everything. How is the, is the Colts' defensive line going to be able to penetrate this offensive line uh, that, that's got Cordy Glenn now, you know, Billy Price, a rookie at the center, who was a highly touted guy. I, was he Michigan or Ohio State? I can't remember. Ohio State. Ohio State, Okay. Um, they've got some pieces here, but I've been told recently that it's, it's moving in the right direction, but it's not there yet. What, what, yeah. what kind of group is this, uh, if they're going to expect to keep, uh, Andy Dalton clean? They feel good about their left side. Like I said, Cordy Glenn acquired in a trade, um, with the bills swapping picks, basically 21 and 11, allowing the bills to go up and get a Jeff Allen eventually, uh, left guard is Clint Bowling pretty much been their guy for a long time at left guard. And he's a solid a good player most of the time. Uh, Billy Price should be an upgrade for what they had there the last few years, and Russell Bodine, uh, first-round pick, obviously, he's he's got the talent. Uh, there are some issues in his game still. He didn't snap the ball a lot under center at Ohio State, and he's had some issues with the Bengals there. Uh, but the Bengals are a shotgun team primarily, so it, you know most of those issues shouldn't arise too often, and, and that's something he's worked on. So the right guard, right tackle spot is really – where the issues remain, and, and they've been for the past couple of years now since they lost Kevin Zeitler, since they lost Andrew Whitworth on the left side, they've been struggling at tackle and guard. And at right guard now, the starter is Alex Redman. I believe it's his third year out of UCLA, undrafted guy. Uh, that's a big, tough, powerful, nasty right guard, and he can move people in the run game. But with that comes some stiffness and pass protection and some mental errors constantly with the, the penalties, the, either the pre-snap or even the holding. Uh, but the, the, the flinching before the snap has really gotten him because he, he's just flying off that ball and ready to kill someone. Uh, there's pluses and minuses, and I think they're going with that. They've done that a lot this year. It's been a theme of, you know, we're not going to go with the safe Brandon LaFell. We're going to go with the upside plays, even though we're going to get some bad plays with, in John Ross. And that's what they're doing at guard. It could have been Trey Hopkins, the guy who played 680 snaps last year at guard for them, um, who was a steady player, uh, not spectacular in any way. It could have been him at right guard, but they decided to go with Redmond for the for the little juice you're going to get in the run game. Um, and at right tackle, they've had issues. It's been Cedric O'Boy, it's been Jake Fisher, and those guys have graded out as some of the worst tackles in the league. 
And the only way they, they thought they could probably fix that position is getting the other guy who graded out worse than those two, and that was Bobby <laughs> Hart from the Giants. And they said, well, we'll take three bad players, and maybe one of them will win this job. And none of them won that job. And, and by default, they're going with Bobby Hart because he's new and because he will at least correct what they're asking him to correct, as far as I know. And um, This sounds a lot like the he, Colts, brother, right, tackle spot. Yes, it's an issue. <laughs> and I think if I'm the Colts, I'm trying to get Jabal sheared over there and power rush him and cause some, cause some troubles for, for Bobby Hart. Um, the, rest of, the rest of the line, I do feel comfortable. And the thing is, the Bengals are such a quick passing team, they're not going to give you many plays to beat their guys. Mm-hmm. You watch the film, and, and they're – their, their offensive line gets beat consistently, but the ball's out, and um, it doesn't really matter. So the line is the issue, and if 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 it's what sinks the, the, the roster in this game and the season again, I wouldn't be surprised. Hmm. Interesting. So let's talk about the guys that they're going to be blocking for. Uh, aside from Andy Dalton, you know, we talked about mixing nice nice mix of guys back here with him as well. Giovanni Bernard, Trey Carson, Mark Walton. Uh, are these guys more of a unit, or is Mixon going to be expected to carry the load like in a major way? I think the unit is definitely Mixon and Giovanni Bernard. They love both of them. Both of them are top ten players on the roster. They're guys they're going to depend on constantly. They're guys that they think can do everything and anything. Even Giovanni Bernard, he's smaller, but he is a tough physical runner. I have to think actually right now the better runner of the two is Gio Bernard. Hmm. The better receiver of the two is actually Joe Mixon. So we're going to have to adjust on what we think big back versus little back can do in an offense that's going to feature both of them in a spread type of offense in a, in an offense where they're going to move them around and get them uh, targets in the passing game. And, uh, you know, so I think towards the middle of the year, we're going to look at this and say, this is a little bit different than I expected because I think a lot of people see big back and Joe Mixon, small back and Giovanni Bernardo. That's your power runner. That's your third down back. The team believes that each one of them can run in the same place, same formation um, as the other guy. And that's something that they haven't had. When it was Jeremy Hill and, and Giovanni Bernard, there was definitely a thunder and lightning aspect. And they right. couldn't run the same formations. They couldn't run the same plays with each guy. So it became very apparent to the defense what the team planned on doing on that drive or that play based on who was in the game. So I think it's going to be much more hidden now and much more to the Bengals' advantage to just interchange those guys as they see fit and as freely as they feel and keep running the offense as, as they as they want to. Um, so it should be a big boost. I think Joe Mixon has the talent to transcend this offense, maybe take it to another level. Uh, he's big, fast, agile, great vision, great hand fronts, great routes. You know, if he hits the ground and, and he's going this year as in his sophomore season and really hits it the way a lot of people think he can, a lot of people say he's got that Le'Veon belt to him. Hmm. And he could do that. And honestly, the flashes are there, and you just say, man, he's so good. But that offensive line is going to derail him on a lot of snaps, and it has already this preseason. It did last year like crazy, right. constantly last year. He was at the end of the line of scrimmage more than any running back in the league. Um, and I think, you know, it, it, it could start to hurt him mentally, and I hope not. So I hope they figure it out on the offensive line side to really salvage Mixon to – he could be a player they really lean on, but they're going to use Giovanni Bernard a lot. So he's definitely mixing. That is, has definitely shown the flashes of, of having the ability at least to take that big leap in 2018. Definitely, for sure. And they're using him much more in the passing game, which I think is really going to unlock and give him the confidence. It's what they did. The Steelers did with Le'Veon Bell that second year, from, from freshman year to, to sophomore year, or first to second year. They really were like, we've got to get him in open space a little bit more. Their whole line was struggling. They need to get the ball into his hands and get his confidence up, get his moves up, get him against 
guys in, in advantageous situations. And the Rams did the same with Todd Gurley last year. And I think that's what the Bengals are planning to do with Joe Mixon, to get him in advantageous situations more often. And I think it's going to come via the pass. So let's talk about the passing game now, obviously. Uh, is it is there is this group uh, of receivers as deep as it looks, or is it is it kind of uh, some smoke in there uh, as far as the depth? A little bit of both, right? I mean, A.J. Green is A.J. Green. He's good. He's fantastic. He's their offense. He is the, he's the number one guy. He's the guy they're going, they're going to try and get the ball to. He's the, he's the guy they're scheming their offense around. Um, they drafted John Ross number ninth overall. They believe he is the talent. I think everyone can see the talent. It's, right. It was always health, right? You know, is he going to stay healthy? Is he going to be able to do everything other than just be the big splash play guy? And so far this, this preseason, he's, preseason, he's been just a big splash play guy and a lot of mistakes. But at the same time, his upside plays are like, I want that on my team every right. single time. <laughs> right. Tyler Boyd, year three out of pit. He's their slot guy. They, he's the reason why they released Brandon LaFell. It really wasn't John Ross, even though they really liked John Ross in year two. It was it was Boyd and LaFell almost canceling each other out and Boyd taking that step into year three and continuing how strong he, he finished that last year. Um, if you remember the, the final play of the Bengals-Ravens game, you know, he catches that, that 40-yard touchdown on the Ravens. And, it, you know, just showing things like that and confidence from the quarterback that he can be there. T.J. Hushman's on it, if you will. I, I, high expectations. But, you know, they had Chad, Chris Henry. Chris Henry might be your guy in Ross where he's just through deep threat, stretching out the defenses. And Hushman's out is going to get a lot of targets. Tyler Boyd get a lot of targets from the slot, running a lot of those option routes and things like that that are going to be key for Andy Dalton in his pre-snap, post-snap reads. So, so far he's done that. He's looked great in camp in preseason. It makes their trio look very formidable and very trustworthy now with Boyd taking that next step. Um, behind them, they love Josh Malone out of Tennessee. They like Auden Tate. They like Alex Erickson. They like Cody Core. They may be names that a lot of people don't know around the league, but the team feels very good about their receiving core. And I think some of those guys, whoever's active on the game day, is going to mix in. Josh Malone is going to mix in. Alex Erickson is going to mix in a little bit. And um, it makes their receiving core really, really good. And the tight end position only amplifies it. Mm-hmm. And in past years, they needed Tyler Eifert to be who he can be, right? We know the type of player he can be, the routes he runs, his ball skills, his hands. He, as a receiving tight end, he's up there with the best in the league. Can't stay healthy, though. So when he's gone down, it's really derailed their offense. That's why I think they've really attacked the receiver position and really wanted to get um, as many draft picks and young guys in here and on this team, and they've done that. But now Eifert's healthy. He's not even on the injury report right now. He's moving well. He looks good. He took some hits in the third preseason game and bounced right up. Um, and they like their backups at tight end, and Tyler Cross and C.J. Uzama, fourth-year guys that drafted in the same draft that have really developed continuously. Croft is struggling right now in run blocking, but Uzama's picking up the slack there. So it's kind of like they're feeding off each other. It's really two really good uh, backup tight ends that are going to be playing a lot. And in camp and preseason, from what we've seen, they're going to use those guys down the field when they need it on third downs, when they need it when they want to flex out a tight end, or when they want to get in the red zone and then throw some jump balls, Tyler Eifert comes in and he does damage. So they really like the receiving core, wide receiver, and tight end, and at running back. Yes, this is going to be – I think that uh, Colts fans are a little too comfortable with what they've got, especially in the position that the Colts are in uh, with this game coming up. I think that this is going to be a, a – I think this is actually going to be a pretty solid game, I, I, but I'm, I'm having struggles with – like, look, we don't know – really what we need to know about either one of these teams or any other team in the league at this point we just haven't seen anything right. there's nothing that's you know, there in front of us for us to to pull from 
uh, aside from preseason games. And, and, you know, you can do a little bit with that, but not much. Um, yeah, you can't go crazy with those. No, no, you've, no, you've got to temper it. I mean, you see some, like you said, you see some flashes, so you know what he's capable of, whoever we're talking about. But you want to see the consistency, and through a, a game or a season, you know, you need that consistency, and that's what really brings these teams around with that. Where do you see this game going? Honestly, and I look at the points, and I see I think the Bengals are getting three, three and a half, depending on where you're looking. Right. Man, I like the Bengals a lot in this game. And I, I think a lot of people that may be listening that don't know me um, will say, of course he's saying that. He likes the Bengals. He covers the Bengals. I don't always pick this team. <laughs> in fact, I, a lot of times I think this team sucks, and I, and I, and I, <laughs> I, I don't think anybody should watch them because ownership and, and losing seasons. But I feel great about it. I look at the, the Colts on paper. I, I watched a couple of their preseason games. I've, you know, we saw them last year in, in the Bengals-Colts uh, game, and there is a lack of talent on this roster. I think they're finally turning it around, obviously. But, to, you know, you guys know it was Andrew Luck, and he's carrying the team when he was healthy, right? And, right. and there was issues on the O-line, D-line, um, the linebacker you guys have gone through. And now corner, I'm looking at them like, guys I like, but are they number one, number two guys? Would any of them start on the Bengals? And I look at it, I'm like, Jabal Sheard and Malik Hooker probably play on the Bengals' defense. Hooker probably starts over Jesse Bates. Sheard probably gets in the rotation at end. But other than that, honestly, I don't know who on the Colts' defense starts on the Bengals' defense. And now I think the Bengals' defense is the strength of the team, but then I even look on the offensive side, and I say T.Y. Hilton obviously would play. Andrew Luck, I think, is better than Andy Dalton if he's ready to go, if he's, you know, if there's no rust there. Um, you would take those guys. Costanzo, I'd find a way to play him. Um, Kelly, I'd find a way to play him. Either Billy Price is going to play guard. Uh, I'd find a way to get Jack Doyle in, 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 uh, in rotation at tight end. But overall, you look at it and you say, I think the Bengals talent-wise – have the advantage on most areas on both sides of the of the of the field. Right, you feel good about them, but you you know there is that Andy Dalton, Marvin Lewis hump and mental hurdle. I think for a lot of people, and I think it's why analysts look at them or, or betters look at them and say six and a half wins for the year. I think that's crazy. I think they've had under six and a half wins just twice under Marvin Lewis in fifteen years. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet the, that coaching quarterback, you you see the upside is capped. And they're going to get into a game. Maybe it's a shootout with the Colts and Andrew Luck. And I just don't believe this team can make the right decisions or make enough plays to to win that game. But I do think the defense can. I, I do think William Jackson can. I do think Carl Lawson can take over a game. Geno Atkins can take over a game. I think Andrew, um, AJ Green can take over. Joe Mix can take over. So, you know, if they have enough pieces around the two weaknesses or the two average entities that quarterback and, and, and head coach. I feel really good about this team. And because everyone's healthy and ready to go week one, I feel really good about the Bengals this week. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I, I We do our staff picks at Stampede Blue every week uh, during the season. And I was the only one that picked Cincinnati in this one of our staff. And I think that I think that the, the, the look at the Colts this year is a fair one, even if you're optimistic or if you're pessimistic. You know, for either reason, I don't think you're too far off no matter what you think a pessimistic or, or optimistic look is at this team because nobody that I know of, even in, in like you know, heavy Colts fans, are saying, oh, 10 or 11 games, we should be doing – I don't think anybody's saying that. And if they are, I think they're crazy uh, because the potential, the, the ceiling – would be 10 games as, as far as I'm concerned. And that's with a ton going right. And I mean a ton going right. This defense is unknown. The Colts' offense is lack in, in, in playmakers and experience. And that's something that you can't predict right now. 
lots of guys yeah. that we don't know anything about have really good breakout rookie seasons or first seasons with the team, but you can't predict that kind of stuff until it happens. And the only thing that Colts fans really have to go on right now is can the defense come up with enough turnovers to give the ball to Andrew Luck to where he can win the game. And I think that's where the Colts are at until they have a little bit more of an established uh, situation with the offensive line and the defensive line for that matter as well, because they've got some pieces there, but there's no, you know, like you said, can, who can take over a game? I don't think there's right. anybody on the defensive line who can take over a game as far as in that, um, that outlook. I think that there's some guys who can combine to help, you know, turn a game around. I don't think there's one guy on there that I would say is going to dominate uh, probably at any point this year unless he's going up against a guy who is, A, very inexperienced himself on, on the opposed, uh, opponent's offensive line or a guy who's simply just so young that he's not, you know, he's not pro uh, produced enough and, and exploded into what he even can possibly get as far as his potential. Right. So that's where I come in. This, this very much for a Colts – to be in as many games as they would have to be in to get to double-digit wins this year, they truly have to have an all-encompassing team effort. And that's really hard to predict. That's hard to expect from this group. You can say that I think that the Colts, give or take a game, and probably take a game, are real close to a 500 team with Andrew Luck under center. But you've also got to have guys that can make plays on both sides of the ball just to help that because we've seen – quarterbacks in the past who were more than capable of winning eight games for a team that had been screwed over by the rest of the team and that could be coaching that could be whatever you know but this this Colts team right now is very hit and miss for me and it's hard for me to go out on a limb necessarily and say I think they're going to be a team that literally has been built fantastically as far as personnel wise uh, over the past several years and that's one of the things they've always the, the Bengals always have one of the most talented rosters in the league. Now, if you want to go drop down to the top 10 or just whatever, you know what I mean. They're a top half yep. roster every year. So that that's yeah. kind of what the Colts are, are wanting to get to. They're not there yet. And by your own logic, that makes total sense to me is that who, where's the matchups where the Colts can really change that. And I don't see many of them at all. So that, this is kind of where I went into predicting this game as well. Um, but I, I, I almost have a hard time just because those games, you know, there has been a couple blowouts, but by and large, these matchups have been pretty tight either way. And it is yep. in Indy. So, I mean, it's hard for me to go more than a score, you know, on, on a win, but I think it's more, it's quite possible that it could be. I, yeah, I, I think talent wise and, um, you know, not knowing what to expect from the coaching staff still in Indy, you know, because that could look at it around the league, right? You, you see bad teams make the playoffs or make a run a lot. Mm -hmm. Teams that you thought were bad, or, or maybe like the Bills last year, or the Jets winning nine games, right? And you go, you look at the roster before the season, you go, how? But yet, coaching elevates it sometimes, and a team plays together and they accumulate wins, and it, it happens. So maybe that is maybe that's the situation for the Colts, and that's how they get to nine, ten wins or so. Um, with the Bengals, I feel like you know what this is, right? You know what their coaching is. They're not going to be too bad, mm -hmm. but they're not going to be too good. It right. no, and doesn't matter how good the roster is or how bad the roster is, even though they've had good talent. They're not going to be more than, you know, a, a 10, maybe 11 wins if they're lucky, but they're not going to be worse than six, seven wins. So right. they're going to compete in almost every single game they're in. But then you get to a situation where could T.Y. Hilton score a 60-yard touchdown and turn this into a game where, man, this is way closer than we expected? Definitely. That right. could happen. Could Andy Dalton struggle and throw two interceptions or, or miss A.J. Green wide open a few times in a game? 
definitely. I've seen it before. And and that's how the, this game can get really close. On paper, that's why I say I do think the Bengals should, should have a comfortable win. Maybe it's only seven points. Maybe it's ten. But knowing how these teams operate and what could happen and, and the talent of Andrew Luck and the talent, I think talent usually wins. And at quarterback especially, if Andrew Luck hits the ground running this year, it's going to make this a close game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so, too. It's going to be a fun one to watch. I mean, for God's sakes, it's week one to begin with. And then second of all, you know, this has always been a solid matchup. And it's some something that I think is probably over the years, it seems to be something they've continued to do is try to get the Bengals and the Colts. I mean, not just their preseason schedule, but try to get those guys, you know, in, in the mix a little bit more often in their uh, non-division opponents for that, you know, year or just whatever. So I think it's becoming more of a uh, of a proximity rivalry than anything, but it still hasn't heated up to that yet like to see the Colts get a little more talent on there, not have to specifically rely on multiple turnovers and flash plays to win a game. That's the idea. You know, you want those to come when you've built that. So it, it should be a good game. I'm excited for it. And uh, all in all, I think it'd be a pretty good game. I think it would be a disservice either way if it was a blowout. And I do not want to see that. Uh, that. That game last night between the Falcons and the Eagles didn't get even slightly interesting until midway through the third quarter. I do not want yeah. to be dealing with that for the first half of, <laughs> of the first game of the year. So, uh, I just want fun football. Yes. Just give me fun. I, I, you know, I think you guys probably have dealt with it now over the last year and a half. The Bengals have also. Can we get back to fun football, please? Yes, please. It, it would be a lot of nice things in our way if Andrew Luck can facilitate that because I think that's our only hope right now. So, uh, Joe. Should be a good game, my man. Thank you for stopping by on the show today. Really appreciate you uh, being a part of it. Where can everybody find your work uh, on the Bengals and, and beyond? Yeah, right for the Athletic Cincinnati. So if you have an athletic subscription, and I think it's going to become harder and harder to not have one, but um, look for those codes. You get 30 40% off. If you just want to talk and talk Bengals and read what I say most of the time or talk football, especially draft, to see draft time, I'm, I'm, I can be a resource to any team. But um, – Follow me on Twitter at Joe Goodberry, just as it sounds, as it's spelled, and uh, hit me up on there, and we can always talk. Great follow and uh, and and smart uh, smart analysis as well. So, Joe, thank you again for for swinging by the show, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, everybody. Make sure to go out and get your uh, ratings and reviews to the show on iTunes. Big help. We've got a little bit of changes coming with the SB Nation podcast stuff. Uh, coming up. That's going to be exciting, interesting news. Make sure you guys are paying attention for that. And we'll talk to you guys uh, next time right here on the Colts cast. Stampede Blue. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Mom. 
Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.